This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Sibley, a well-known pediatrician in Lafayette who has dedicated his professional life to taking care of our youngest. I asked Brian to join us to discuss how the Delta variant of COVID has evolved to affect children in ways the initial wave of coronavirus never did. Brian, I want to thank you for joining us in your second appearance on Discover Lafayette. Our first go-round, we were discussing your book, God First, Setting Life's Priorities. I want to thank you for being here to enlighten us on what is going on with your patients and the threat that the Delta variant of COVID is to our children. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we're friends through church, and uh, I just heard you recently kind of giving your witness about the past year and a half. Right. It's just been tough. On everybody, it has. It has. Uh, it's it's <laughs> been a, doctors. Well, it's been tough. On, yeah, absolutely. It's been tough on everyone, both personally and professionally, and I said both. It's and spiritually. I think you know. Yeah. Uh, so many people have uh, found themselves in a place where they uh, weren't uh, aware of. Um, you know what tomorrow looked like, right. and, and truth be told, we probably none of us really know what tomorrow looks like. On the other hand. I think we've all found ourselves in a place where there's just so little upon which we can rely. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been so many changes. Um, and, you know, who would have thought last year that we would, we would all be home and there would be no school and there would be no... Right. You know, it, it's just, just a dramatic change in so right. many people's lives because of this pandemic. How did that affect your pediatric practice like last March right. 2020 right. how did that affect you and your colleagues well so uh, you know I'm very involved in our professional associations uh, you know both locally throughout the state and, and nationwide and what we found was that when children stayed home um, from school and playgrounds and daycares and sports and everything else that birthday they normally parties. do birthday parties yeah uh, that they didn't get sick and so there were entire, you know, days, for example, where local emergency rooms uh, went without seeing not, not one child. 
uh, coming in. And, you know, we know that 90% of children's illnesses, respiratory illnesses, are caused by viruses. And they're mostly cold viruses and some bacteria, but mostly viruses. And um, so they were socially distanced. All these kids were socially distanced, and, they, and so they weren't sick. Interestingly, you know, people tend to think that, well, you know, my child's got a runny nose or a cough as a result of, you know, allergies or environmental mm-hmm. allergies. It was spring. It was March and April. And they were home playing outside. And they weren't the, sick. And none of them were sick. Mm-hmm. Not, at least not sick enough to come into the hospital or the, or the doctor's offices. Uh, and remarkably, there were days, entire, you know, two and three day stretches where uh, emergency rooms didn't even see a child for a broken arm or a twisted ankle or there was just no trauma. Was, the children were just healthy. Which is beautiful. We, but you, you, make, you make your living yeah, no, treating it's great. kids. It was awesome for, uh, for public health, <laughs> but it was terrible for pediatricians' practices. No. Um, and uh, I mentioned when I gave the talk the other day at church that, you know, like the same time, uh, the stock market was diminishing mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, people's investments and retirement funds were dropping just like mine was. And so it was a scary time for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things opened back up throughout the summer and then schools began in a modified version, yeah. uh, you know, last fall. And uh, things got sort of back to normal. You know, there were a lot of children still in virtual schools, so they weren't in, in mm-hmm. person, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in school. And so uh, as things slowly got, began to sort of get back to normal between September and about March of 2021, um, we, our business, back to your question, started picking up a little bit. But it was in April and May when schools opened up, or April in particular, when schools opened up and daycares opened up. And uh, two months or three months after the vaccine was available, mm-hmm. COVID vaccine was available, that we and my co- my colleagues and I throughout the country started seeing in May, June, and July and August just incredible numbers of children coming in who were much sicker than we've ever seen them in the summer. Typically, our summertime is very yeah. is catch up time is very slow because of what we experienced last year. That is, kids are not in school yeah. and not sharing germs, and so usually summertime slow. Well, this past June and July, we've seen all the viruses we typically see. So let me ask you, last year, children were not getting COVID? They were not no, diagnosed there was, there with were virtually, COVID? No, virtually no children. There were some, but, you know, if they had it, they weren't that sick. Right. So for the first, you know, year or year and a few months of the pandemic, children really didn't. COVID was not an issue for most mm-hmm. children. There are a lot mm-hmm. of theories about why that is. Um, but but we didn't see children getting COVID, and they certainly weren't being hospitalized. So this was after we started getting the vaccine and the Delta variant Right. So when, So, you know, viruses, we know viruses tend to evolve. It's mm-hmm. one of the reasons we do get flu vaccines every right. year. It's not one flu vaccine forever, you know. And uh, so beginning the second week in July this year, so about a month ago, um, children started getting, uh, not only children, but everybody, but in particular in our case, children started getting sick with, with COVID. And how would it, they present? Was it similar so to what say, you knew about adults? Exactly. Cough, cold, runny nose, fever, um, you know, and, and so and the numbers really between about ages 11 and 12 to 18, you know, so preteens and teenagers, those kids are getting sick. Uh, almost every one of them I've tested has been positive in the last three weeks. And now most, and not, most of them aren't sick enough to be in the hospital, but they're they've sick. got they've got a quarantine and yeah. they stay home and and their whole family and their whole family sick mm-hmm. and then uh, 
infant, small children, infants to preteens, you know, between birth and about 10 or 11 years old, we're seeing it. We're seeing it more than we did. It's not as prevalent as, as, as it is in the older children, but it certainly is mm-hmm. there, which is in contrast to anything that we saw the first year or cup 14 months of this pandemic. In fact, there were very few children in our state who were admitted to the hospital with COVID. There were a handful. But, you know, I checked in today. No one would be talking today. I checked in with um, colleagues and contacts over at uh, Children's Hospital in New Orleans, mm-hmm. Our Lady of the Lake Children's Hospital in Baton Rouge, LSU Medical Center in Shreveport, and then locally with uh, hospitals in Lafayette. And statewide, and those are the big places where children yeah. would get admitted with COVID. Mm-hmm. And so over the last two to three weeks since the Delta variant has, uh, surge is on, uh, we're seeing as many as 50, 60 children who are otherwise, most of them otherwise healthy, admitted to the hospital um, compared to less than five. You know, so 50 to 60 a day statewide oh are admitted to the hospital. Um, there have been a few deaths. Mostly they get better and go home, though. Um, and, you know, the point with all this, though, is that this is not a benign, this is no longer a, a benign process for children. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, is not available for children under the age of 12. That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I didn't realize that it really hadn't been tested for children because this wasn't even an issue right. the testing, last year. Right. The, the testing is, going, is ongoing. Right. And, they, you know, I think folks who were in the know, the CDC, American Academy of Pediatrics, and those people who mm-hmm. make these decisions anticipate a vaccine approval for children sometime this school year. Um, you know, and from a public health perspective, I mean, there's a, you've got you've to try to vaccinate and protect those who are most vulnerable. And so in the first part of the pandemic, that yes. was the elderly and mm-hmm. those in nursing homes, folks with debilitating diseases. And small children really didn't get, you know, COVID. But now with the Delta variant, they're getting it. Yeah. Um, and But there is a notion, you know, of, of herd immunity, which the theory is if there's some large percentage of a population, how do you define a population, whether mm-hmm. it's a school system or a community? If, if 80%, some people say 90%, but a, a large majority of people in a community are vaccinated against a disease, then those who are not vaccinated, you know, because they choose not to be or cannot be, mm-hmm. will oftentimes be protected. So the notion is if we can get herd immunity, if we can get people who are eligible for the vaccine, that is 12 years old and older, mm-hmm. if we can get 75, 80% of those people vaccinated, then the rest of everybody else should be okay. You know, and it's just been a tough thing to get people to yeah. to pursue the vaccine right. in large numbers. We're not anywhere near no. that. In fact, in Louisiana, uh, I was looking at the numbers earlier, that in Louisiana, of the 12 to 18-year-olds who are eligible for a COVID vaccine, only 19% are vaccinated. So we got a long way to go in that, in that age group. Um, and among adults, we're closer, but it's still, I think, 50% or, or something like that. And so, you know, school starting here today. In fact, the Lafayette Parish Is School today? started today. And yeah. some private schools started today and, and this week and next week. And so there's a mask mandate, you know, for children between ages five and up. Um, and what's important about that is in a, in a school setting, back to the herd immunity, in a school setting, you know, most of the people in the school are adult, are children. You know, so there's teachers and faculty and administrators yeah. who are adults, but the vast majority of people in that environment are children. And for children under the age of 12, they can't be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be important, you know, that, that as school starts, as school administrators try to balance 
the safety and, and well-being of their yeah. students and educating them against the against you having know, to educate we've them lost properly. So much we have. Yeah, I mean, being, virtual school, while it while it's a wonderful tool, I think we've found and, and necessary last year. I, there's no criticism right. about. It. I mean, I, we can't keep it up forever. Well, and it's not something that's good for everybody. Right. Not every child, not every adult, can really mm-hmm. learn mm-hmm. as well, you know, virtually as they can in right. person. And so, and especially with small children, small children need. I mean, I think need to be sort of hands on and with human adult teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they benefit from that. Right. Um, it, you know, and, and so it's been difficult as a result of having to mm-hmm. socially distance to, to educate a lot of those kids. Yeah. And so many children lost a year, an academic year, just yeah. in terms of their learning last year. You know? Yeah, and it's sad. And, for, you know, and, I, and I know you're a lawyer by training and education. I mean, even the law students didn't have to take the bar exam last year. Yeah, I don't, don't get me on that. <laughs> I still think that could have been virtual, <laughs> even well, yeah. if they cheated. Just well, take the right. test. Well, I think, well, I think it's virtual this year. I don't know what they're doing, I, but I, it just I, blew my I mean, mind I, I that they didn't have to take it. <laughs> what I, someone I know took it, and I think they took it on the computer. Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, that's what separates, as they say, the men from the boys. Well, I suppose you know, it's, <laughs> it's the same as being a doctor. You, the the tests are the tough part, like the, well, right, and, you, know, you know, getting accredited. And and, and a lot of the medical last year in the spring, the medical students weren't able to do their clinical rotations mm-hmm. because for the same reason, they right. were trying to find a way to do this virtually. And the whole point with all of this is whether you're, you know, in kindergarten or in graduate school, mm-hmm. it's difficult. Yeah, to do things virtually. I mean, there's some things you can do, you know, mm-hmm. certainly, but a lot of it's difficult to do virtually. Well, let's talk about the mask, and then I want to get into maybe sure. symptoms and long-term implications. But, you know, people talk about conservative values, and I'm using the little air quote thing, but yet masks seem to really make right. a difference, whether right. it keeps you healthy or others, right. prevents them from picking up on what we have. And I know it's sure. not perfect, but I recently interviewed Joelle Fruge at the, you know, Katie in the prescription shop. And Great he said, yeah. yeah, but he was like, you know, I wish we'd had masks before because people, when they come in, they're typically sick. Right. Not everybody, but most people are there. Right. If you're going to the pharmacy, you're getting medicine something, for something. Right? You know, like they've got something going on. Sure. And he said, you know, it's really been a help to right. have the mask on. but. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think, like, the children seem to be okay. Like, sure. children seem to want to comply with what right. the adults ask them and to do. And most kids will, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of couple of thoughts to answer that question. You know, in the, in the last global pandemic, which was in 1917-18, yep. was influenza pandemic, they got up past that in large part because of wearing masks. Mm-hmm. They wore masks. And they had and four surges. They had four, like we have now. It's the same thing, right? right. It was like right. a very Well, but they figured out. it out. Yeah. If they wear masks, the germs aren't shared, mm-hmm. and they got past they survived. it. You know, yeah. they survived, and of course, a vaccine came along later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, go back to this past flu season, 19, I mean, sorry, 2020-21 flu season. Typically in the United States, we see millions of cases of the flu, and thousands of people die from the flu. Last year, during the typical flu season, I think the number was something like less than 5,000 cases of flu nationwide. Wow. Well, they were all wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it works. Right. It, I mean, it's a simple, you know, it's a simple uh, thing to do, but it's effective. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that, you know, back to the air quotes, that, that certainly that there are people who feel like their personal freedoms are being infringed upon. Mm-hmm. And you know the analogy, which I use this in my webinar on which we which we did last week. I wish I'd have thought of this myself, but I've got to give credit to Dr. John Hislop, who's in North Vancouver, who I, I read this from him. And his analogy is, you know, personal freedoms 
are important. And, and we all, I mean, certainly we all live into that and enjoy many mm-hmm. personal freedoms in the United States. But, you know, uh, if you go out to uh, the uh, a forest or to go hiking and the forest is closed, the public park is closed, it's your personal freedom and, you know, we pay taxes and you want to go in the public park. But if it's closed because of the threat of forest fires, mm-hmm. then you can't go. It's a safety issue. And it's because of public safety. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's kind of, it's sort of the same it's a idea, act, you know, you that... Know. That right. we want to have parties and events and mm-hmm. in-person education and all the things that we enjoy. But the reality is this virus is killing young people and right now. The Delta variant in particular is more contagious. It's more severe. Hospitals at this point are at a breaking point in terms of staff, mm-hmm. personnel, beds, bed space. There's so little of all of that. There's so, many, so few human and other resources mm-hmm. Uh, available right now, some throughout the state and the country, there are there are beds that ordinarily would be available for the vast majority of people who are ordinarily coming to the hospital, whether that's a broken leg yeah. or an elective surgery mm-hmm. or having for better heart attack or an auto accident. Those beds are diminished because they're filled with COVID patients, Delta variant. Most of those patients are not ninety percent plus are not vaccinated, and so between vaccines and wearing masks. Um, social distancing, um, we can we can get past this, mm-hmm. and we can get back to enjoy you know right. whatever the new normal is. But we can get back to sort right. of enjoying some of the things that we've enjoyed. Where do the children go if they're sick? Um, <clears throat> you know, if they need to be hospitalized, do they have to go to a special unit, or can they just go to any bed that? We'll take a couple well, you know, so the inpatient pediatrics, the children who are being admitted to the hospital mm-hmm. is becoming more and more specialized. So not where it used to be when I started my practice 30 years ago, almost every hospital had beds in which they admitted to which they admitted, you know, children for children routine like asthma or, yep. you know, whatever, gastroenteritis and things that commonly cause children to go to the hospital. But. Because nursing has become more specialized and because uh, protocols and procedures and the way that we take care of children is becoming more specialized. Fewer and fewer hospitals are, are admitting patients, are admitting children, uh, small underage, 12, 13, to their, to their hospitals. And so really, if somebody's really sick and needs a bed for more than a few hours, you know, there's a handful of places. I mean, like Lourdes Women and Children's Hospital, Oxner Lafayette General here in Lafayette. So they can all take children to right. those and hospitals they, exactly. if they have the space. Right. And then over it. But then that space is, even last year, you know, that space is a good question. Mm-hmm. Good point. That space was limited because those beds were needed for adults who had COVID, mm-hmm. you know, during the first part of the pandemic. Right. Children's Hospital, New Orleans, I related the late Children's Hospital in Baton Rouge, uh, the Medical Center in Shreveport, LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a women and children's hospital over in Lake Charles. It's a little bit smaller, I think. Alexandria Rapids General. So, I mean, there are regional hospitals who are adept and skilled at taking care of children. But there's a hand, there's only, you know, that not all of those have an ICU for children, pediatric mm-hmm. int- intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, as I'm talking to people today around the state, you know, if there's 50 or 60 children admitted to hospitals with COVID, on any given day over the last three weeks, about 20% of them are in the ICU. Oh, my gosh. It was, right. <laughs> so it's these, frightening. It is. And these were healthy children. Many of most of them were healthy mm-hmm. children prior to mm-hmm. getting the Delta variant of COVID. Any um, projection about long-term health implications for children? Can they bounce back quicker? Or do you, I guess you don't know, but any guess about their lungs and right. long-term damage from right. this? Right. So otherwise, healthy children who are... who 
get COVID and who don't need to be in the hospital seem to be doing fine. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, they, it's, they won't get they, asthma. I, or right. Oh. You're right. And, you know, it's not something that's going to, um, that doesn't appear to be a long-term consequence from having COVID. And one of the beauties of taking care of children is they are resilient. Mm-hmm. You know, both well, they're resilient physically, but they're resilient, you know, mentally, emotionally, yeah. and spiritually too. They tend to bounce back from, from even tough things. Now, children who have chronic conditions, so who are pre-diagnosed with asthma or who were born extremely prematurely, you know, premature babies who may have lung disease, like any virus that might get in their lungs, they, you know, the jury's still out, but they may have issues down the road from from this virus or any other virus that affects their lungs. Right, right. Is there a, um, you were talking about your colleagues in the state and nationally, you guys and I guess women have had to really call us quickly to right. figure out what's going on. Huh? What's sure. it been like? Well, you know, the good news is, I said earlier, the first part of the pandemic has been relatively, you know, light on pediatricians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the last, you know, several weeks and certainly, you know, last one or two weeks, it's been, it's, and well, throughout the summer, really, it's been tough, tough on us. Um, it's been tough on the resources, especially those patients who are taking those doctors who are taking care of patients in the hospital, mm-hmm. because it's you know it's a new virus and it's a new. We we all take I think take for granted um, all that we have in healthcare today, and we just sort of expect mm-hmm. that well you know if I'm sick I go to the hospital they'll take care of me, and if they can't take care of me here they'll transfer me somewhere where I can't be taken care of, and right now. These last few weeks, that doesn't exist. I mean, there there are patients who are dying because they can't get a bed somewhere. You know, I, it, there's just not. It's just hard to imagine. The system's overwhelmed. Yeah, and 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 it's a simple solution. You know, that that we get vaccinated, and that takes a little longer, but then then we can help prevent the spread of this virus by wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. So, Brian, what is RSV? Is that am right. I saying that right? Yeah, is that related are. to COVID? What is this uptick in? RSV cases. Well, so RSV is a is a virus. It's a respiratory virus. Mm-hmm. It stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Um, this virus has been around for a long time, and it was probably besides the flu, was one of the few viruses for which we can actually have a rapid test. Oh. Right, and so and back in up until the mid nineteen nineties, early to mid nineteen nineties, um, children who were born prematurely and who spent a long time on a ventilator in the NICU, uh, children who were born with uh, congenital birth defects of the heart, seemed to be, uh, well, not seemed, they, they were more susceptible to this particular virus and, and would have long-term effects as a result of being infected with that. Um, and so a test was developed, a rapid test, to determine who might have RSV. And really, it's only indicated, that test originally was only indicated for uh, those particular patients, small population of patients. And, and, you know, anytime we do a test in medicine, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with the results of that test? So um, in, back in those days, at least, if the test was positive, there was, a, there was a medication that was used that was life-saving but potentially dangerous and had a lot of risks involved with it, um, and, and we used it in those patients. Back when I was in training, you know, in the early 90s, late 80s. But then, in about the same time, uh, what came along was uh, a, 
a synthetic medicine that goes in the lungs for newborn baby for premature babies to help their lungs mature faster. Part of the reason newborn uh, premature babies have so many breathing problems and their lungs are damaged has to do with the lack of a substance called surfactant. It's sort of like the it's sort of like the lubricant inside the lungs that helps keep our lungs open. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're born really prematurely, you don't make it, and so your yeah. lungs are not lubricated like they're supposed to be, for lack of a better way of saying it. And so the, those children, those babies, would be on ventilators for months, weeks, and months at a time. Oh, wow. And so they had scarring of their lungs, and so yeah. they were more susceptible to RSV. Well, synthetic surfactant came along in the, in the early '90s, mm-hmm. and so suddenly those babies who were born prematurely were not on the ventilators for so long. But what happened at the same time is, so we never really needed the medicine anymore to treat RSV as much, but people just kind of got in the habit of testing for RSV. So they do. We don't have a cure for it. We don't have a pill for it. We don't have a medication for it. You just know that you have it. You go, well, you got RSV. It's still no more dangerous, you know, in my mind, uh, to any to the average healthy child. I mean, it makes you wheeze, but so do a lot of other viruses. Right, right. It's not virulent and uh, it is contagious but it's not dangerous like COVID is it's mm-hmm. not dangerous like the flu is I've just um, seemed to be hearing more about well, it well what happened was, so ordinarily we, we, all these tests get run uh-huh. throughout the winter time during cold and flu season but we didn't have as I said earlier we didn't have a cold and flu season to speak of this past year but when schools opened up and daycares opened up in April and people started mm-hmm. uh, socializing and germs started spreading then RSV popped up again we haven't seen the flu, which has been good, but RSV popped up in the summer, which is, this is in my 30-year career, and I'm, I'm not sure that anybody has seen this much viral illness, respiratory illness among children in years, in the summertime, because it's just not right, just not something we see. Right. And it's because typically in the summer in the United States, children are socially, they're outside playing, and they're mm-hmm. not in school and, and for eight hours a day, and, uh, but now they are. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're together again. And a lot of those children who were born during the pandemic missed that first cold and flu season. So they didn't develop any natural immunity. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so that's that's what yeah. RSV is. You've seen it all, I'm sure, in 30 well, I've seen years. A lot. Huh? I, don't, I don't. Yeah, hopefully I haven't I, seen I it all. I was the young guy when I got, I thought it was like yesterday. You know, mm-hmm. We got here, we were the young people in town. You know, I know. But not anymore. Right? I know. Isn't that amazing? Gosh. You still look the same, though, Jan. So oh, yeah. yeah. I see that when I, you know, when I look at the pictures, <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, 63. It's just, um, well, you know, it did happen overnight. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah, so I was, I want to kind of end on a happy note here. I was looking at your, you know, kind of stalking you before we interviewed. I wanted to look at pictures and I saw a picture of you with your, your grandchild. Grandson, yeah, right. From Peter. last October. Right. I think he was six months old and right. he'd gotten a flu shot, right? right. So right. what are your recommendations for parents and grandparents? Like what should people do to keep their kids health you know, healthy and happy sure. outside of COVID? Like what are the things right. for little little ones? Sure. I didn't yeah. realize they got shots. At that point, you know, the vaccine. Right, yeah. So vaccine. you can get a flu vaccine. So first of all, there's a recommended set of vaccines. And this, these, these vaccines, so many shots. they're yeah. safe, they're mm-hmm. effective, they're tried and true. There are no side effects contrary to popular, you know, social media belief. Mm-hmm. No significant side effects, at least not anymore. Not in the last 30, 40 years. Um, and so, number one, if there's a recommended vaccine, get it and get it on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing, you know, adults are experiencing this for the first time in a while that, you know, man, I, they're getting sick and they're, they're in some cases are uh, are dying. And the last words are, I wish I would have gotten a vaccine. Yeah. 
you know, and I mean, smallpox has all but been eradicated. It's in a lab somewhere in Europe, I think. It's been eradicated oh. from this country, from the world because mm-hmm. of vaccines. Polio hardly exists because mm-hmm. of vaccines. Measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, you know, all these things that some were severe and some not so severe, but because of vaccines, we just don't see them anymore. You know, yeah. there's several bacteria, same thing. And so get vaccinated. Number two, you know, in as much as you can, uh, protect your children from their environment. Um, the number one risk, people don't know this a lot, I find. They don't seem to know it. The number one risk to the health of children who are over a year old is accidents. Falls and burns and ingestions and choking and drowning and pulling things in their head and falling off of things. And so, you know, it's, and for, for boys, it tends to say that way till they're about 40. <laughs> <laughs> or 25, I don't know. You know, so, but but children, especially yeah. when they're toddlers and, and, yeah. and even teenagers, you know, teenagers take risks mm-hmm. that, that maybe they wouldn't, they would regret later on if there's an, a bad yeah. outcome. But um, so protect them from their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, follow the doctor's them. advice. Yeah. Stay, especially right now, stay out of the emergency room if it's not a real emergency. Um, for so many reasons, COVID or not, I, I, people don't. I wouldn't mm-hmm. think you want to. You'd go walk into an environment which could make you sicker than you were before you got right. there. But yet, people it's a flock default. to the emergency room as mm-hmm. though you know. Which, if it's an emergency, that's what it's there for. I mean, that's why we have emergency departments, and they're yeah. all very good. But we can't. You have to define what an emergency is. You know. Well, right. Is it a, is it a threat to life or limb? I mean, right. I think that's 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 a good way to think about it. It's a pretty mm-hmm. simple definition. And some people don't know. You know, some people think that well, a fever is a threat to my life, and, and probably you know it's not. And some people are using. You asked about outside the COVID pandemic, but people are using emergency rooms, unfortunately, to get tested for COVID. And, and oh my they, goodness! And, and the are, bill is so high to just I, walk into the hospital. Well, and there are know? tests available at every urgent care, yeah. every pharmacy. I mean, uh-huh. there are take-home tests now available. I mean, you know, it's not like it's yeah. difficult to get tested. So, vaccinate, follow your doctor's advice, protect your children from their environment, and then mm-hmm. stay out of the emergency room yeah. unless it's an emergency. Right. And one last question: mm-hmm. I didn't bring up telehealth. Has that been something, you know, um, virtual visits no, with sure. your um, with your patients? Are you doing that? Right, or? we we have it available. It uh-huh. has not it has not been ad- uh, adopted uh, among children. For what you know, parents have not adopted. They this. want to see you in person with their child. Yeah, for the most part, and it, and um, it is because you know, in order for me to listen to the child's lung, a baby's lungs, or look in their ears, look mm-hmm. in their throat, it's sort of hard to do that virtually. However, for you know. Um, rashes. It's been it's been nice mm-hmm. for behavioral health. So following up on patients who may have ADHD or yeah. other behavioral you know problems or whatever, um, it's been good. You know yeah. we can't get vaccines virtually, not yet at least. You know, right. <laughs> although I talked to a college student the other day who said his his lab was he had a, he was in a lab at LSU last year and it was a tough because he couldn't be in the lab, mm-hmm. but they were sending. Uh, the lab supplies to his apartment or whatever, and they were trying to do it virtually. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we could send the vaccines to your house. You can give them. Mm. Your- <laughs> I'm not sticking myself with no, the I'm yeah. taking. <laughs> I'm kidding. So it's been, it's been hard, but for I know for a lot of adults, they really enjoyed uh, mm-hmm. virtual visits, and it's worked out really well. Right, Dr. Brian Sibley. I just this was like a very you know impulsive request to have you come. I just it seems like this week. It hit me like a ton of bricks from listening to NPR and our local news and even the, you know, um, John Bill Edwards press conference that you forwarded to me to look at. 
overnight, we have an issue with children getting the Delta variant of COVID, and it's serious. So I just wanted to have an opportunity to let you share your voice. You do have the voice of reason and you, you know, calming presence. But I just want to encourage people to share this and let people know that we need to take this seriously. Absolutely. You know. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all you do for our community. Oh, you're sweet. Thank you so yeah. much. And I want to thank our listeners for um, tuning into this. Please share it with others and subscribe to Discover Lafayette if you haven't. And in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, Iberia Bank, which is now a part of First Horizon, Oshner Lafayette General, and Raider. Thank you so much for mixing the tape. Jason Secor in particular, thank you for making it sound professional. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, thank you. This is Jan Swift.